Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nick Swinmurn, otherwise known as Coast Talk. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. Whether it's sports, tech, food, fitness, I've got a bunch of passions. I've also been fortunate enough to invest in some of my favorite sports teams. Along the way, I've met a bunch of great people, whether athletes, entrepreneurs, executives, and we hope to dive into their stories on our show. You'll hear backstories, successes, and failures throughout our discussions. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy listening to the show. This is Coast Talk Talk. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Coast Talk Talk podcast, where we deep dive into the passion projects of the best athletes, executives, and entrepreneurs every week. On today's show, I sit down with Alexis Miller, Donor Engagement Strategic Partnership Lead at Endowment. Welcome, Alexis. Nice to have you on the show. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Awesome. No, excited to... uh, to have this discussion. Um, I guess if you want to start, give a quick uh, intro, however long or short you want, um, introduce yourself to the listeners. Sounds good. As you said, my name is Alexis and I oversee strategic partnerships at Endowment. We are a 501c3 nonprofit built on the Ethereum blockchain. And essentially, my role at Endowment is working with donors looking to give cryptocurrency assets and nonprofits wanting to benefit from these donations, as well as kind of ad hoc partnerships, working with NFT artists, DeFi protocols, as well as philanthropic organizations. And I kind of came into the Web3 crypto space when I started at Endowment. My background is really in the traditional nonprofit space. So I worked in development and fundraising for about five years. And then I most recently was working as a philanthropic advisor in the community foundation world, which led me to Endowment since Endowment we call ourselves the Community Foundation for the DeFi space. So it was kind of taking concepts and ideas and projects that I'd worked on in my kind of former life as a nonprofit professional, still a nonprofit professional, but now just working in the crypto space. And I live in Washington, D.C. Nice. And how did you, um, how'd you end up on this career path? Were you always, you know, interested in nonprofits? Did you, you know, through school, did you think this is the path I'm, I want to pursue or... Was it something you stumbled upon and and never looked back? Yeah, kind of a little bit of both. Um, I started out my journey wanting to be a social worker. So I was really interested. I've always been, as cliche as it is, interested in the kind of helping profession and helping people. And I started out wanting to be a school social worker or something working with kids. And as I went through college and then grad school, I kind of realized you can help people in a variety of different ways. You don't have to be providing direct service or direct therapy in order to make a difference in someone's life or in a community's life. So I kind of stumbled upon the world of development. Um, I was working in the Jewish community, actually, and development kind of fell into my lap. Someone had said, you'd be great in development and fundraising and talking to people and engaging them. And um, for me, it was helping the benefiting nonprofit, but being able to work with donors to help their kind of visions of what they want the world to look like for themselves, for their kids, for their grandkids. Um, So really being able to kind of help them and their visions come to fruition, still helping people, but just kind of taking a different approach. What do you think was it that drew you initially to to wanting to help people, whether it was as a social worker or a nonprofit? What, what, can you look back and see anything growing up that, you know, kind of inspired you or, or made you, you know, a lot of people say they would love to help people, but they don't actually do, yeah. you know, they don't actually, you know, pursue it. Yeah. What, what made you different? Um, I'd say for me, 
<laughs> this is kind of a silly story, but when I was three, I watched Madeline, like the, you know, the kids and the dog drowned. And I just started like crying and I just had so much empathy. Like, again, I don't totally remember this, but my mom and my grandma tell the story where I just like had this emotional connection to Madeline and her dog drowning. And I guess from then on, I just kind of surrounded myself with people who were like-minded and also was just kind of seeking out opportunities where I could be at the forefront, helping those either less fortunate or helping to be that kind of thought partner in certain situations. So I wouldn't say it was like one thing in particular. I just think throughout my childhood in life, I've always just kind of gravitated toward learning people's stories and empathizing with them and kind of serving as that friend and confidant as well. Yeah. And so how old were you, do you think, when you decided, I want to be a social worker? I'm just fascinated because when I was a kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And when I got through college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I'm I'm really interested in this, like, people, you know, find these things early on and and work towards them. Yeah, it's so funny because now when I tell people that I am a social worker by training, they're like, how did you end up in crypto philanthropy? I mean, they just don't (laughs) totally see the kind of parallels. But I would say probably when I was in high school, I was taking some psychology courses. And then in college, when I decided my major, I I really was driven toward like a developmental psychology, social work type lens. Although, you know, I, I, I personally feel like I use my skills on a daily basis, whether it's communicating with someone on your team or talking to a donor or a nonprofit. Although, you know, some people don't see the, the connections, but I just think that some of those concepts that you learn in school, I mean, even if you have a business degree, you know, you may not be using it in the exact way in practice that you learned about in school and in textbooks, but you're able to apply it in a variety of different ways. Yeah. So you, so you're working, and, you, and they say, "Hey, you know what? You might be, um, you might be good to help with development and fundraising." Like, how does that um, the the place you're working at? What does that look like? Is it like, hey, we, we need someone to do this. No one's doing it. Or is it like a well-structured department and they need an extra set of hands and we can train you? But How currently an endowment, you mean? No, in your first, your first experience. Oh, previously. Oh, it was like, let's just jump in. Like you can listen to people and you kind of possess the qualities and you can learn. Basically in fundraising, we say there's an art and a science. You know, the science you can learn. It's the art really that you need to be able to communicate well with others, listen, provide feedback. So they always say like the science, again, this is kind of in the fundraising space, but the science you can learn, you know, it's like learning algebra. You can put formulas together and go on your way. Um, But really you have to kind of possess the, the artistic talent of being able to empathize, to listen, and ultimately to ask people for money, which is not always the easiest thing. Um, You really have to be able to get to know them and develop that relationship. And then you ask for the gift and then you're quiet and you wait for a response. (laughs) How is that? Like, how do you think that is, you know, there's some, even when you say it, you think to yourself, oh, that'd be easier than, than selling someone something. And then you think, no, that'd be, that'd be harder in some ways than, than selling someone something. Like, what's the dynamic there of like, how long did it take you to I guess, to kind of figure out that right balance. Yeah, it's so interesting since I'm not doing that necessarily now in my job, but at the end of the day, you're always selling something, right? Whether it's trying to onboard a nonprofit, even though we're free for nonprofits, you're always trying to kind of like get to that yes. And I think kind of from the 
fundraising worlds, sometimes it can be a bit more challenging, right? Because you're not giving them an end product in the same way that you are with selling someone something, right? You're selling Mm. someone a subscription or you're selling them an item. And with nonprofits, you really have to kind of paint that picture for them or give them an experience so they can identify with the client on the other end who's receiving services or, you know, with the nonprofit that's helping the environment, you want them to be able to kind of firsthand experience and see their dollars in action. Whereas again, I, I probably couldn't do sales, but it, you possess similar skills, but also different. I think sometimes when you have that tangible, like even you get tickets to this event, like you're, you're giving them something in return and the world of philanthropy is just so selfless to a certain extent that sometimes it's harder to make that ask or make that connection when people inherently, for the most part, want to be recognized for their efforts. And what do you think, like, um, you know, in my experience, um, there's so many great causes. There's so many, you know, people and places in need. And there's, it's always like, you never think about the, um, you know, for every dollar, every dollar donated to one place, it's a dollar that didn't get donated to the next place. And I mean, in theory, there's endless possibilities, right? And like, I know people have even just, you know, there's different people. Some people think, oh, you should go, it's one world, right? So let's, let's, let's go around the world to the place where the, where the dollars donated can affect the most people, right? Like bringing water to a village um, mm-hmm. versus helping, you know, a smaller number of people, you know, locally. And it always, I, I always kind of sided with like, well, this is where, this is where we live, you know? So this is kind of our responsibility extends outward from where we start and, and everything else. And some people are like, no, why we're, you know, what are the, um, yeah. what is, and this has nothing really to do with a lot of the stuff, but just, just being curious, like what's yeah. that, what's that balance? Like what are the, what do you, what do most people, how do most people weigh that in their minds and, and, and how frustrating is it for the other side to hear the argument of the other one? You know, like it just seems like a yeah. really tough decision. Yeah, super interesting. Um, I'm definitely not an expert in this, but for me, it's been really insightful being at a variety of different types of organizations. So as an example, when I was working in the kind of traditional community foundation space, people had a very different approach. They wanted only local since they wanted to help their local community. And even just in terms of impact, like a lot of donors wanted to see like an impact report or they really wanted to see like metrics around like, okay, you provided water for X number of people or you provided shelter for X number of people. It was very like metric driven. And now being in the crypto philanthropy world, I'm noticing that donors engage with philanthropy in a very different way where they might not even have a connection to the nonprofit, but they look at their website, maybe look at some financials, see they're doing really impactful work. And they make it a gift. It's not like cultivating them for six months or a year and then they're getting that gift. People are giving $50,000, $100,000, $500,000 to nonprofits that they have no like quote unquote connection to. So I think it differs honestly based on generation in terms of that local versus international or, you know, giving circles are a really interesting trend in the philanthropic space where everybody pools together the same amount of money. And then democratically, they decide how to allocate it out. So I think there's a lot of different... And we have a similar giving vehicle and endowment, which I'll touch on in a bit. But you know, I think a lot just depends on kind of the generation and the mindset. You know, like me personally, I... If 
you know, I'm looking to be charitable. I want to give to kind of the underdog, those grassroots nonprofits that maybe aren't getting as much recognition. And I think a lot of people identify with that, especially in today's world. I mean, there's so much going on, unfortunately, and it is overwhelming. If you're a philanthropist, where do you turn to? Like, do you help someone in your local community? Do you help a national nonprofit that has a kind of a larger reach, but you don't necessarily know exactly what community your dollars are supporting? So I think to me, like a combination, there's, there's some like happy medium with a combination of the two. Um, and we're doing that at endowment when we open up our own, we call them community funds where we raise money from the community around a specific area of interest. We strategically target, like right now we have a reproductive rights fund and we chose seven nonprofits and half of them are national and half of them are local. And, you know, we really try to be strategic in identifying a few of the kind of grassroots nonprofits, as well as a few that are nationally based, because you want to cater to everyone. You want to cater to the donor who wants to help their neighbor, and you want to cater to the donor who wants to give their $5,000 and just have it evenly distributed throughout the nation. Yeah. And you, it looks like you, you started your own organization at some point. Is that correct? I did. I don't know. I have on these notes they put the stay strong. <laughs> like, where'd you and, find that? It says stay strong and marge on, founder and director. I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, okay. I thought you were asking, funny, I thought yeah. you were saying I did question mark, but I was like, wait. <laughs> no, I did. I, that was like a, threw me for a loop a little bit. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I started in 2014. I started my own nonprofit, uh, helping to raise money for breast cancer organizations through the game of Mahjong, which is essentially like Rummy Cube that. Nice. So a you would hold events with it, where they would you would play and the, and then and pay to pay to yeah. participate and then money. Where yeah. where was that in your um along the way? Like where was that? Were you where were you in your in your career? Were you working? I, I was in grad. I was in grad school. Yeah. So it was like kind nice. of a a hobby side nonprofit that I did in grad school. And yeah. then when COVID hit, it was you know can't have in person events, can't all be <laughs> touching the same tiles, too many germs. Um. So we kind of pivoted. It's it's still an existing organization. Uh, we had some volunteers that were sewing masks to donate to different cancer centers throughout the country, but um, nice. definitely it was like a side side passion project of mine in grad school and beyond. So, so in grad school, you, you know, you've, it's a entrepreneurial decision to, to start your own thing. Where was, where were you as far as like, I want to start my own thing. I want to go work for places that are, you know, larger and can impact more people. Or I want to go work so that then later I can start my own thing. Like, what's that? What was that process then, and and what is it now? Or thought process? Like, yeah, I've I've always been someone who likes to surround myself with people who are smarter than me and know more than me, and I've always just kind of gravitated toward that learning environment. So I would say for me, in grad school and even now, I'm still in the phase where I'm trying to absorb as much as I can. As I mentioned earlier, like. I was totally new to the world of crypto when I started at Endowment. And my team has been so incredibly thorough and thoughtful in training me and teaching me all that I need to know. And I just kind of went into the deep end with it. Like I just tried to educate myself on as as much as I could. Um, Even yesterday, one of our engineers was showing me something in GitHub, which I like still looks like complete gibberish to me. But like, I've just always wanted to be around people who know more than I do so that I can learn and grow from them and then use that knowledge to help change the world eventually. So, Awesome. Before we get into endowment, one question. So you kind of answered it, but I was going to ask it and you kind of answered it. So 
what are the different types of foundation? Like a community foundation, I guess, is just focused on the local community. What is the alternative? Just a foundation focused on a larger area or a specific need, but not in any one geographic area? Yeah. So community foundations, it's interesting when you're in the space, you assume everyone knows what that is. And when you're like, then I have these conversations. So basically there are hundreds of community foundations across the country rooted in local community. And most of them offer different philanthropic giving vehicles like endowment does. So the donor advised fund is probably the most well-known charitable giving vehicle, which is like a Think of it as a charitable checking account. So you could open up a donor advised fund or a charitable checking account with yourself, your family, whomever. And then you're deciding what nonprofits you're supporting through that giving vehicle. So that's really how community foundations started was like a way to invest in your local community, but offer a giving vehicle that's tax advantageous. You're making a difference and it's way less work and paperwork and money than operating your own foundation. So a lot of people have kind of family foundations and you have to have your own board of directors and you have to grant out 5% a year. So donor advised funds, they're getting more, they've been around for a really long time, but they're getting a lot more recognition recently when people are kind of, they want to be philanthropic. They don't want to write checks to 50 organizations. They want to streamline their giving through one place. They would go to a community foundation, a Schwab, a Fidelity, an endowment if you want a crypto donor advised fund um, to manage their charitable giving and also learn about the local community. Um, so, you know, the community foundations across the country have kind of experts in the field and each one kind of specializes in their own area, whether it's education, whether it's, you know, food insecurity. Etc. Got it. So you're you're working uh, tr- more of the traditional foundations, community foundations, and then you you how what was your first interaction with crypto or blockchain before before endowment? Like, did you know? Had you you know bought NFTs, bought Bitcoin, ETH, anything, or were you brand no. new? Personally, brand new. Um, I had friends in the space, and people. I, I knew some of the buzzwords like. NFT and crypto. And I don't even, maybe I knew blockchain. I definitely didn't know what a smart contract was. Like I was completely new. Um, and as I was interviewing with endowment, they provided me with resources and podcasts and articles. And I just kind of was educating myself. And the more I read about even just the underlying technology, I was just kind of amazed in the fact that endowment is a nonprofit that's built using blockchain technology, I was just like, okay, sign me up. I'm ready to learn more. Um, because I think that nonprofits have a lot to learn from kind of the Web3 crypto space. What are those What are those lessons? Like, what are just kind of bullet point lessons that you think, like, there's an opportunity to improve upon? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing at Endowment is since we are built we, we not only facilitate cryptocurrency donations, which is great in and of itself, but we're actually built on the Ethereum blockchain. So all money into endowment and all money out of endowment into the hands of other nonprofits is essentially publicly available if anyone has sufficient knowledge of going to a site like Etherscan, right? So the fact that someone can essentially do a public audit of endowment and see all dollars or all cryptocurrency flowing in and flowing out is pretty amazing when you think about it because nonprofits, you have to file a 990, you know, for 
for the IRS with your financials, but it doesn't show every dollar flowing in and out. It doesn't, it shows maybe your top donations and your top grants, but most nonprofits put out like an annual report, but that's highlighting the work that they want to be external facing for the most part. You're not putting all documentation and all information in that annual report as an example. So I think just the power of the blockchain technology in terms of transparency, I think is really, really important. And another kind of aspect of blockchain technology is um, kind of the, the power of what decentralization looks like. You know, in, in the crypto world, people talk about decentralization and DAOs and DeFi and all these kind of buzzwords. But the fact that it's democratic and there's no one entity kind of leading, I think is really, really interesting since most nonprofits are led from a very top-down approach. Their president or CEO is making all decisions for everybody underneath them or their board of directors one doesn't necessarily know how they're elected. It's not a public election per se, right? It's maybe the president or the outgoing board chairs electing the incoming. Um, but I think there's a lot that can be learned and done, both from a nonprofit perspective, but also just in the general business world. But I think especially in nonprofits that are pretty, pretty old school sometimes, like the organizations I worked for did incredible work, but they had been around for 50 and 100 years. So they're not adopting some of these kind of newer models and newer, even newer infrastructure because they've been around for forever and what they're doing is working just fine. But I think there are other nonprofits that are more grassroots, that are maybe newer and innovative that could take some of these concepts within the crypto community and within blockchain and adopt them to their own organizations as well. Got it. So was the first, was the reason endowment kind of came about, was it more like there's people, crypto holders looking to donate and realizing there's no, it's really hard for me to donate this without first converting? Or was it, you know, this is, there's a better way and it just happens to be, will make it easier for those those holders to donate? Yeah. So our CEO, Robbie Peter, started endowment really out of a need. I was not on the team when when he started it, but I I've heard the story in that yeah. he had he had cryptocurrency and also had a donor advised fund at his local community foundation, and he went to them and he was donating stock every year. And you know, stock is a very tax advantageous way to give. Crypto right now is taxed the same. I'm, I always say like I'm not a CPA. This is not tax advice, but right now crypto and stock are taxed the same way per the IRS. So if you have appreciated stock or appreciated crypto assets and you donate them to a nonprofit, you mitigate your capital gain tax and you also can take a tax deduction. So there are tax benefits as to why somebody would donate stock or crypto as opposed to writing a check or paying on a credit card. So Robbie attempted to ask his local community foundation if they accepted crypto, if he could donate crypto into his donor advised fund. And they kind of looked at him with like he had three heads, like what's what? Why would we accept crypto? Like, what is this? And so he essentially embarked upon this journey of creating endowments in partnership with the community foundation and talking to them through some of, you know, they were the expert in the donor advised fund space. So he really built it out of a need, first and foremost, in terms of having a free way for other nonprofits to be able to receive cryptocurrency. That was really important that we weren't charging nonprofits for our services and that we were operating 
as a public good infrastructure. So we wanted, or we still want every nonprofit across the country to be able to benefit from crypto assets without ever having to open a wallet, engage with crypto, worry about the securities, or have a dedicated staff person to be able to manage the process. It's not fair for only large nonprofits who have a dedicated staff person to be able to benefit from this new asset class and from this new group of donors. Yeah. And what about the the volatility of the market? Like, is that, like, who's, when, when does it get converted? Who's, who is responsible for that? Are you guys all sitting there all day going, ah, look at the price of ETH there. No. <laughs> Just like, like watching how's... up, down, yeah. up, down. Yeah. Um, definitely not my job or anyone in endowment, thankfully. <laughs> um, so basically what we do is we accept, we're built on the Ethereum blockchain, but we accept over a thousand tokens. So we accept ERC-20 Ethereum-based tokens. And then we also have a way for people to give in an over-the-counter way. So if someone has Bitcoin as an example, they essentially fill out a form and then donate to us. And we immediately convert whatever cryptocurrency is given to us into US dollar coin. So it's a stable coin that's pegged to the US dollar. And we hold that USDC right now in their donor-advised fund, as an example. And then when they're ready to make a grant recommendation, it's granted out in US dollars into the nonprofit's bank account. Nonprofits can also receive it in a crypto wallet, but most nonprofits just want it wired via, you know, their bank account, which is great because they don't have to engage with crypto. So So it's going directly from the donor to the nonprofit. You guys are just make you know, facilitating that versus going to endowment and then endowment deciding how to distribute, you know, how much, where, when type thing? Yeah, it depends. So we we have donor advised funds, which I talked about, the charitable checking accounts. We also have community funds, which I briefly mentioned earlier, which are like area of interest funds. So we have a lot of NFT artists, as an example, that we work with who open up. We want to support reproductive rights and we want our DAO or our community to vote on how we're distributing it. Or we're going to have these five vetted nonprofits that we're telling our community in advance and we're going to evenly distribute to those five nonprofits. So they're really like area of interest funds. And then we also have direct donations where essentially you can skip the fund process and just donate directly to any nonprofit in the US. So if you just have a little bit of ETH and you, you know, want to donate it, you can just do so directly without ever having to open up a fund. Yeah. And all three of those, it's the same fee and we still convert it into USDC. It's the same process for all three of those giving vehicles. Got it. So is the, you know, to, I guess to, to have everyone, is it, you spend more time reaching out to donors or, and then the fund that they're interested in, or, or is the goal like get all the fun, get all the, uh, the foundations on board first and then facilitate their existing donors? Like how does it, how does it work? Yeah, good question. It's a combination of two. So people can go on our site and we already have onboarded organizations where we've received their contact information, their bank information, we've vetted them. So anybody can go on right now and donate to any nonprofit. We have ones that are onboarded. So no no setup, like nothing required from them since they're already onboarded with us. But donors can also make a, a grant recommendation to a nonprofit that isn't onboarded. And then we just get in contact with them and say, hey, someone's trying to make a donation to you all. So essentially, any nonprofit is already set up to receive crypto on our website since 
every organization in good standing with the IRS is already listed based on searching their EIN number or their name. So it's just a matter of if the donor wants to start the process or we're reaching out to the nonprofits to get them onboarded in anticipation of somebody wanting to give. It seems like a no-brainer. What are some, you know, for every no-brainer, there's objections. What, what, are the, uh, what are the surprising objections that you, that you get or, or that you've, you've had that are now, you know, as time goes by, are starting to slow down? Yeah, I would say the objections are mainly on the nonprofit side, meaning they don't want to engage in crypto or like they run it by their board of directors, which you don't really necessarily need to since you're not holding cryptocurrency, right? It's like receiving a grant from another donor advised fund provider. Um, But I would say just the hesitancy, honestly, around the crypto space in general, because you might see a headline or as an example, right? We use USDC. It's a stable coin, but some nonprofits have heard about stable coins in the news. So then they're asking us about it because they want to make sure that what they're engaging in is credible and legitimate and that we're not going to go under. So I think I would say, at least from my perspective, most of the kind of hesitancy is on the nonprofit side. From the donor perspective, it's incredibly easy to give. We charge one and a half percent, which is really low in the industry. And donors also like the fact that we're not charging nonprofits for our services. So there's no contract. They don't have to pay a setup fee. So from the donor perspective, we really haven't had objections. And because we're a small and nimble team, we can work with people on an individualized basis. So like we'll have NFT artists come to us and say, we have this drop in two weeks. Can you help get us set up? And we want 20% of our primary sales to go to X nonprofit. And we're able to make it happen. Um, We just recently launched this new feature called a sponsored project or a sub project where nonprofits can fundraise for a specific campaign or an anniversary or an initiative, which has been really cool because donors can give directly to that organization, but more specifically to a specific program or project that interests them. So nonprofits really like that also because it's more information to share about their organization. And like we have NFT artists who are like, we wanted to go to this project and 20% and we make it happen. So it's nice being a kind of more nimble team because we're able to have that flexibility with both our donors and our nonprofits. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's It's like a weird, like making donations for small companies or startups. It's like, until you go through it, you didn't, I never realized like, it's not that easy. Like, like it's not that easy to even just to say, hey, we, you know, in the past I had a project and we're like, we're going to donate X percent of this to, and it was like, it was surprising the resistance, right? Like it's like mm, there's a yeah. there's a hesitancy of like, well, I don't know if they get approached a lot of times with people saying they want to donate things and then don't, or people wanting to use the the charity as as a marketing, you know, bullet point and then never actually follow through with it. But I, I just remember thinking it was yeah. a really it was a really frustrating experience in that like you you went in with good intentions and and then we were just reaching out individually to to uh, charitable organizations and it was like almost like you're Hey, look, we're just trying to give you some, we're trying to do some, some good money. here and something. And it was very much like, you know, almost like the suspicion. What are you, what are you really trying to do? And I ah, know we don't yeah. know. And it was just a, so I think it's great that, um, especially for something that's, you know, I guess in a, in a space that people are, you know, still unsure of, but at the same time is very clear and easy to, 
look on the public record and say, hey, this is what this is what happened. It's very easy to see if a project didn't follow through with they said they would donate X. Did they do it? And so I think it's um yeah. it's exciting. What are you um what are you most excited for in the future? Like what do you do you see more and more more and more of the industry like innovating through the blockchain? Or do you think this is like uh this will be a component and innovation will take place? Maybe lessons learned from this will trickle into off-chain areas? Or you know, is it gonna be a are you excited? Like, do you find the space where it's like, hey, this is a fast, rapid, rapidly evolving space? Or are you most excited about, hey, you know, we're we're on the we're on the leading edge of this, and I'm also, you know, still fulfilling my mission of of helping people and <laughs> doing good. Yeah, I would say I'm like a crypto convert at this point. Like, I really do believe in the technology and the infrastructure. And what's been really cool to see is our people and nonprofits that are adopting this so quickly. So there are nonprofits out there who have a dedicated like NFT influencer community manager, as an example, who is responsible for reaching out to the NFT space and building relationships. That did not exist five years ago. And I've also seen partnerships. We're helping to facilitate one right now where an NFT artist and a nonprofit teamed up and they're working together in partnership. It's not just the NFT artist saying, hey, I'm donating 20% of my sales. They're working in partnership. It's a co-branding opportunity. And it's just been kind of amazing in my little bubble to see nonprofits adopting this slowly. And I'm excited for what's to come because the possibilities are really endless. Like blockchain technology and crypto can go beyond the nonprofit space. But I also think if they can kind of if we can, I don't want to say infiltrate, but if we can get involved in the nonprofit space, we can get involved anywhere, really. Um, and there's organizations and companies who every day I'm on a website and I'm like, oh my God, this is a really cool project. And I can't believe this person is using an NFT to solve this issue or they're using blockchain to do this. It just is really kind of mind boggling to see the creativity in the space as well. And I think that you know, just the more we can get out there and kind of debunk some of the crypto myths, I think the better. Because again, people might see a headline or think that someone who's involved in cryptocurrency, you know, doesn't look like me or it's a tech bro behind their computer. And I think the more we can kind of get out there and talk about it, the more widely adopted it'll be in the coming years. Yeah. No, it's also great because I think anyone that's Anyone that's bought NFTs knows it's much easier to spend ETH than it is to spend dollars. And so I assume that that follows through to donations is like, oh, you know, it's much, <laughs> people are, you know, much, much more willing to, uh, to donate ETH um, yeah. or donate, donate ETH. But it, hopefully that, that follows suit and, and, uh, yeah, and, like and more click and more a button and you make a donation. So in your career, now, now that you've converted, you've become a crypto fan, do you, <laughs> How would you how would you rate? I'm just curious. How would you rate? Um, I guess when you look into the future, what and you think of possibilities, what percentage of your brain is is thinking of crypto possibilities versus nonprofit uh, possibilities? That is a super interesting question. Probably more at this point, which is kind of crazy to say. But hmm. I'm always. I don't know as much about the like underlying technology and I'm not an engineer. So the kind of technical aspects of crypto, I'm not really thinking that much about. But 
just looking at websites, honestly, and seeing what people are doing. I think there are always nonprofits that I'm learning about where I'm like, oh my God, they're doing incredible work. Like, how did they come up with this concept? Or like, it's such a niche. How are they getting the word out? You know, or how are they getting donations? So I do think a lot about that. I also think that there's a lot of duplication in the nonprofit space. So you see whether that's locally rooted or nationally rooted, there's a lot of nonprofits who are doing similar work, maybe in a different way. But I've always had this concept of like, we could merge a bunch of nonprofits who are doing similar work and achieve greater impact. That's just a personal thought that I've had where when I'm kind of vetting nonprofits or looking at nonprofits and I see a lot of duplication. In the Web3 crypto space, yeah, I guess there's duplication, but there's so many different ways of doing things. And I think that that part of it excites me because... And maybe that's just because it's newer, right? Nonprofits have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, whereas blockchain technology and crypto is a newer phenomenon. But that being said, I feel like I'm always finding kind of innovative approaches to solving problems. And I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah, no, I think you're in an exciting spot because you got a you've got a huge traditional industry that's undergoing a change with modern technology, but then you've also, you know, been exposed early to this modern technology which in theory will only increase in its uh utility and and go into, you know, you know, go sideways forwards everything into into a variety of industries. So, it seems like a really exciting space and you know, for all of us, it's a great time because you know, we're still early. So we're, you know, even though, even though we, you know, majority of us haven't been in this crypto space very long, we're still in the minority as far as we're in it, you know, and we're learning. And so I think it's such yeah. an exciting space to, you can pick up, uh, you know, domain expertise so fast, um, you know, and so it's really, uh, really exciting. I, I really enjoyed this yeah. conversation. Is there anything else, um, anything I didn't ask about in Downland or anything else you wanted to kind of... Any messages you wanted to get out there? Can I end with a little endowment plug, like for anyone wanting to find sure. out more? Let's let's hear let's hear the let's hear the pitch. Cool. <laughs> no, I just I mean we as I said we're we're an organization that wants to help others. Whether you have, whether you're a donor looking to give crypto or you're a nonprofit, um, so I would just tell anyone interested in collaborating or partnerships or even just to look at our site. Um, Shout out to our engineering and design team. We actually yesterday just launched our new endowment.org website. So we did a little oh. a little facelift, a little refresh. We have some cool and exciting features, both for donors and nonprofits that we're launching in the coming months. So endowment.org and check us out on Twitter and Discord. And really, we're here even just to brainstorm or be a thought partner for anyone who is looking to get into the space or an NFT artist who wants to do good. We're, we're here just to help and spread the the wealth in terms of getting money into the hands of nonprofits. Awesome. And how many people are on the team at Endowment? So we kind of have two entities. We have endowment.org, which is what I work on. There's four of us. And then we have our sister company, endowment.tech, which builds the infrastructure and technology for that org. And there are, we keep growing, six full-time people on, on that team. Awesome. I love it. So, so 10. We're small. Yeah, so it's a startup. Small and that's mighty. The, that's the best, uh, the best combination. Yeah. Cool. And, and you guys are still going by your regular names in the office? You're not going by your um, your <laughs> your Twitter handles or anything? Not yet, no. I, uh, not- I'm still Alexis as of right now. <laughs> we'll see what happens in six months. You never know. Nice. So. 
Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. It was a super interesting conversation. I learned a lot, and I think um, the listeners will too. And definitely, uh, yeah, I just I, th- I think it's awesome that you had a you had an interest, you know, so so early on, you know, spurred by a a cartoon character, and you've still followed that path ever <laughs> since and, and doing good. So so it's awesome. I think. Uh, yeah. It's a great conversation. So, anyone Thank listening, you, please. Uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe, share this episode. And yeah, we'll be back next week uh, with another episode.